boys and girls, and welcome to another episode of Excalibros. Thumbs. <laughs> the podcast where Mr. Dan and myself, George V, go through old episode or old uh, issues of Exiles Excalibur and possibly the new Exile series. You have to listen to the end to find out. So, how are Exciting. you today, Dan? I am ready to jump into the omniverse, multiverse, every verse that we need to <laughs> need to do. The, the every so verse. That, that, that's our new term. The every verse. Well, there's too many verses, so it has to be every verse now. What if there are omniverses of omniverses? I don't know if that works, but at least part of my brain might be bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about it. I'm sure that Grant Morrison understands what I'm trying to say. He always understands. I'm sure I'm sure somewhere um, Claremont and Winnick also totally get what you're saying. This is a real tangent, oh. but I, I do hope that Morrison at some point got to talk to Stephen Hawking before he passed and uh, see if, if their ideas sort of melded together in any way. That would have been really interesting. I wonder if that, yeah, that would have... I would have liked to have seen that conversation if that ever happened. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd make for an interesting um, premise for a comic book. Oh, man. That's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, back to the actual comics we're talking about. Uh, today we're going to uh, be reading Exiles, issue number two. Um, Excalibur, from 1988, issue number one. And possibly the new Exiles, uh, issue number one. So, uh, let's start off with uh, Exiles, number two. Uh, what year is this from, Dan? Oh my god, um, like 2000 and something. It doesn't say in my book. Do you not have like? It says two thousand and one. There we go. Mine just has a has a has them all brooding on the front cover. Oh yeah. Apart, does apart does from it say off. the sacrifice on it? No, mine's totally clear. Like, cause like I have the ultimate in quotation marks collection, and it just has no text front covers, which I kind of enjoy. To be fair. <laughs> all right. Well, then so I can. I, I can add some, some color commentary because on the left side, going uh, vertical, it says The Sacrifice. Um, and we've got um, Nocturne and Blink in the upper left corner. Do you have that? Um, nope, I literally just have the picture. Yep, it's got them looking sort of either freaked out or maybe possibly aroused. It's hard to tell. Um, and then the Exiles logo going across the top. Does the Exiles logo totally cut off... Um... Uh, Warpath's face. Then no, it's actually behind him, so it's it's nice. Ah, that's not too bad then, because I'm looking at it and because it's complete, because mine's completely blank. I'm like, where would it all go and fit <laughs> without like cutting people off? But, um, how do you feel about the front cover with our full-on team all looking a bit sad, apart from Morph? Yeah, because Morph, Morph, I love Morph. Uh, yeah, they're all looking. Sad and maybe like determined facing facing camera. Um, yeah, it's not a bad cover. Um, what do you what do you think? I think um, um, it's kind of just there. That makes sense. It's it yeah. feels more like a number one sort of issue. For sure. So. I'm not too like yay, but then I don't have the whole sacrifice and people looking um, all 
upset slash turned on <laughs> right. by the idea. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of out of the way, so I'm not really even looking at that when I'm looking at the cover. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to... I don't feel like the artwork, uh, or rather the color work on this cover is as bad as as some of the coloring we, we saw in the first issue. I wouldn't say it's great. Uh, you can definitely tell there's still, like, early days of digital on this thing, but it, it's not as jarring as it was for the, the first issue. Yeah, transparency did digital, obviously, you're doing a little bit of a bit of a better job this time around. Hmm. So, uh, as a reminder, uh, maybe you can say where we left off after the first issue? Well, our little team got pulled together and thrown in a desert, met the time broker. We got a lot of backstory for each member, or some got more than others, which could prelude to how useful they are later on in issues, I suppose. <laughs> and then they were sent to a world where they were told to find their greatest teacher, where everyone was like, it's Xavier! And Blink was like, mm, I don't know. And then they went shopping with Magnus's magical out-of-thin-air <laughs> credit cards, they bought the most ridiculous clothes anyone could buy, attacked a giant prison, freed Xavier, everyone was all happy and smiles, then boom, he's a fucking supervillain. And um, everyone was knocked out by a mind blast. And he's ready to kill everyone, all of humanity. Yeah, once again, Xavier is a bad guy, just like he is in Astonishing at the moment, so we're... <laughs> just like he is anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, so we we end up in a um, the poor the poor ta- a poor uh, the rain on the floor with a nosebleed, clearly been killed, and then there's a kid and ah uh, well everyone in Phoenix Arizona was decimated by one of Xavier's mind uh, nukes blasts whatever they want to call them, and yes. uh, blinks a little upset about it. Everyone's a little bummed out in their uh, four-star apartment hotel that they magically obviously bought with those credit cards. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> apart, from, apart from Morph, who's just asleep. Because um, he's, he's not that bummed out. I just love the fact that he's just asleep with uh, fairy slippers on. And I know, everyone else I know. Kind of like, kinda like <laughs> really brooding as hard as they can. And this is where I, I'd like to call um, attention to one of um, Mike McCone's biggest mistakes, and that is mimics facial hair, um, which makes his chin look weird in every panel going right, forward. Right, right, um, So, <laughs> apart from calling attention to that horrible moment in time, that panel where he's holding his head, I'm just like, why does he have, like, what's wrong with his chin? Yeah, not um, only does his chin like jut out in like a weird way, but then there's like a furry tip to it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this feels weird. But anyway, yes, um, obviously uh, Mimic um, isn't very happy with the situation. And he was all like, it was supposed to be Charles. And Blink's just down to business. It's like, it's our mess. We should really sort this out. Um, meanwhile in a prison island Xavier decides to do his own recruiting with uh, the first recruit being Naked Juggernaut that naked. is some like with I the... assume he's naked yeah and he's got like saber tooth hair going on 
Yeah, I thought he was a redhead, not yeah, a blonde. Yeah, exactly. It's a different, different reality, so... You can do what you like. Yeah, I mean, it's a different reality, exactly. Um, alrighty, well... You know, I, I think it's also worth pointing out that everyone's got, like, like late 90s hair with, like, the curls and, like, the parted in the middle and, like, um, two sort of tufts sticking out to the side, almost like Peter Parker in um, Ultimate Peter Parker hair going on. Yeah, pretty much. Though at least TJ's hair is actually quite nice. Constant braided. Oh, yeah, that's got to be hell for artwork. <laughs> yeah, that must be just the most annoying thing to draw. Um, so we carry on and our exiles uh, created a new Cerebro and found uh, someone to help them which was Forge who is essentially just a mess of disappointment and and a traitor to his race good for him and everyone's just it's basically for me it feels like the exiles are kind of on the back foot a bit depressed we should really sort this out right meanwhile Xavier's brought together a really bizarre team of um, people. Because um, the book has a limit, like a limitless imagination. If you think about it, right. the idea of you have multiple personalities, uh, multiple iterations, and aside from evil Xavier, the rest are sort of like, oh, there's an evil Johnny, Johnny Storm. They're just evil versions, and apart from Jessica's black in this universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spider Woman is black in this universe. That's the only real change, and they decide to just take out the uh, stock exchange because that's the first place to go. So um, remind me, Charles. In this in this world, it's like mutants have been hunted, or is it all super superpowers have been like uh, hunted? I think it was all superpowers have been like hunted. Okay, that makes more pre- sense then for this team. Okay. Yes, and it's just a big old like. Because they're at the stock exchange, this giant team, Xavier's evil brotherhood of evil superpowers have turned up. And then Mimic and Morph and the rest of the team jump in and uh, fight back. And we have... um, That domino is... That is a... What is... Those guns are really big. So so let's let's step back for a second and uh, just say who we have on the team here. Uh, the the yes. evil X Men team here. Um, we've got Charles Xavier, obviously. Uh, you mentioned uh, evil Juggernaut with blonde Juggernaut, evil Johnny Storm, Domino. Uh, we've got evil Chamber, and um, yeah, Spider Woman. So it's uh, kind of an interesting mix of characters. I think my favorite thing that they've done is they made Johnny evil by giving him flamey eyebrows. <laughs> And, you know, the colouring for Johnny is so bad. Oh. It's horrible. It's actually horrible. Almost as horrible as Chamber, completely. Yeah. Like the complete conception of Chamber in this in this panel. In all panels that include Chamber. And i got to say, you know, there's a number of issues here with uh, Mimic that he's drawn so oddly and, like, his body's, like, contorting in weird ways and his legs are, like, oddly muscular certain times and his waist just, like, bends... <laughs> 90 degrees it's he's drawn and he's so weird hooved feet yep <laughs> i didn't know he had cloven feet is that um, from from beast maybe it's really hard to t- tell because at the moment he's got what um angel's powers 
uh, Colossus's powers, Wolverine, Cyclops, and Beast? I think so. So it's kind of like a mishmash of... Uh, some of it's quite irrelevant. <laughs> some of the powers are totally irrelevant to the others. Um, I just can't get over, like, this panel with with Domino and... All those giant guns? Guns. Those guns are huge. Yes. She is... As a... You know, everyone's fighting. Um, Juggernaut is taking out people. And then Warpath goes to, to punch him. And then we, we see a shot, as you mentioned, of Domino with two giant giant guns, just bullets flying everywhere. And uh, she's taken out by... Um, who is this again? Caveman, not Caveman Morph. <laughs> not Caveman Morph, yeah. Which is great. Um, who is then shot in the back by Chamber. And it's interesting because Morph, can, he's, his body just contorts in all these like, liquid ways that it's almost, you feel like impossible to even hurt him. Hmm. Because he gets shot in the back and where he should have like a hole in him, his body's just decided to like morph around the blast. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird, but he seems to be totally fine and ready to do his like shoot his weird um, back scratcher machine that <laughs> that they um, that Forge invented to stop Xavier using his powers. Right. I do like some of the uses of Mimic's powers, where he turns his <laughs> wings into steel so he can deflect blasts. Yeah. Um. Because I. I as we progress through the series, Mimic's powers are more interesting, <laughs> become more interesting than they are straight away. I think at the moment they don't know what to do with him because he's a bit overpowered. Right. Um, I think the team's a bit overpowered, to be honest, at the moment, but they sort that out quite quickly. Yes, they do. <laughs> they uh, do, indeed. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, jumping into this series, Mimic was the character I was least interested in, but... Um... They do they do a good job of like fleshing him out and showing him using his powers in interesting ways for sure. Yeah, he gets a lot of work done, and some of the best character work is mimic in this in this title. I think I feel, from, but we'll see as we move forward. Right. So as uh, mimic shoots evil Xavier in the back with this this device Forge came up with, um, the rest of the team, a uh, Blink, Nocturne, and Magnus. Who remember this is the son of Rogue and Magneto? Who anytime he touches someone, they turn into metal. Um, of course, of co- because, and once again, his he's in this like form-fitting, like plastic outfit that is colored in the weirdest way. It just looks like his body is is it's like a, a heat heat vision of his body is all we're seeing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So they're on the outside of the prison, and what are they doing? They're trying to find um, this, this. Well, they're trying to find Magneto, essentially. Um, but apparently, there's not enough time, and the prison itself is like it's been expunged, as Magnus would would call it. Expunged. And it's ex- either she says it's been expunged. Yeah. Um, the whole facility is is set to self destruct, so there's not enough time to um, save everyone, and so he send he flings uh, Nocturne and blink away. In one of his uh, Daigler bubbles, right. <laughs> so we're, we're sort of getting the hints on where this sacrifice is going to come from. Yes, we are. Um, 
right. And then cut back to where all the fighting is going on. Warpath and Juggernaut are going at it really well. It still, it still doesn't feel like Juggernaut in any way. No, it feels just like a big dude. It like could be like dude. Thor or Jugger or, or Sabretooth or just any unknown like big dude with blonde hair. And here, and we get some dialogue which like sort of is a precursor to a lot of the dramatic tension that happens with Mimic, which is the whole no one dies, right? Um, and it's that's very important that he's very much like no one's dying here. Also, Johnny's colorations have totally changed, <laughs> and so Chambers. Which is really weird. It's like the optic blast has actually charged him up slightly. That's that's exactly same. what it looks like. Yeah. And um, Morph has turned into a bunny and is just basically pissing off uh, Chamber <laughs> by hopping around him, um, which I think is the best strategy when facing Chamber. <laughs> oh, I just can't man. believe he beats he, beat, he beats him as a bunny. I know. I I I, I love Morph's ability, like. He turns his bottom half into a rocket so he can slightly hover. And he's even when he was in Age of Apocalypse, it was like, okay, they're doing some interesting stuff with this guy's powers. It was always enjoyable to watch how they were like making his body contort and do strange and wonderful things. Like I remember in Age of Apocalypse, he turned himself into like a, a sheet of either yes, like yes. rock or, or, or metal so they could all dry, like sit on him and yes. someone could fly with him. Yes. I was like, that's a brilliant idea. Um, so, um, unfortunately for our team of exiles, uh, Domino, using I assume some of her luck powers, manages to get, manages to get the dampen off Xavier. Right. But Havoc's not having any of that. Havoc. Uh, Havoc. I said Havoc. It's because for some reason I just looked at the panel and I was like, he reminds me of Havoc, but yeah, it's he... literally Mimic. <laughs> to ask me. Yeah, Mimic does. He does have that ha- Havoc '90s hairstyle going for sure. I've been reading too much 90s X-Men. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the problem. Um, so the, so our Exiles boys decide to jump into the fray one last time. But unfortunately, um, Xavier's got the upper hand using his psychic powers to knock down Warpath and Morph. And he's about to essentially mind-murder Mimic. Yes. <laughs> um, elsewhere, good old Magnus is ripping open cells and sending all the superhero prisoners out of the prison that's about to self-destruct. Right. And we see glimpses of the thing, Storm, Cyclops, She-Hulk, Beast, and some white guy in a wife beater. Some dude. (laughs) (laughs) Some dude. Obviously important. Totally totally the the most important member. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And he finds out that the bomb, the self-destruct bomb, is made out of uh, plastic components. Of course. Um, and so he decides to shield the entire island with one of his Daglow shields. Um, I don't know. I quite like the effect of his shields, where it like almost like liquid going up and round. Oh yeah, I was thinking if if you know this had been drawn now, this could have looked really amazing. Like literally beautiful, like beautifully colored as yeah. well. It would have been a really interesting thing. Um, so we cut back to Mimic, and how does Mimic stop his mind getting? murdered well he does what every wolverine fan would hope he would do he stabs some claws right through the bottom of of professor x's jaw right through his head because he wants to kill his father (laughs) yes daddy issues i know 
so he's dead. So really, um, yeah, and then we get to see because it's it's early 2000s, they want to go too graphic. So we see like a shadow in the background of mm. the claws actually going through the top of Professor X's skull with a nice snicked. So Jason would be happy. Yes, Jason would definitely be happy. <laughs> and then, kaboom, there's uh, an atomic bomb goes off. And uh, it looks like Magnus's shield has worked because he's, you know, prevented the explosion from, from breaking free from his shield. Pretty much. Uh, which leaves Paul Blink and Nocturne sort of... Not, their faces weirdly contorted, but yes. I assume they're just squinting from the uh, the blast. Right, don't look directly at that, yeah. <laughs> yes. And then we find out that there were no remains of Magnus. He was directly in the epicenter of the blast. Uh, somehow he managed to keep his... Even though he was liquefied right. at the beginning, <laughs> he managed to keep that shield up enough. Uh, just enough to... Um, not be destroyed completely right and uh magneto this world magneto is like do i have a connection to the boy and everyone's like no (laughs) (laughs) basically um and then mimic says about in her in her world magneto was the teacher everyone followed his example and then magnus um not well he is magnus as well i suppose but magneto um is all like well okay we will go forth and change the world. Right. And it looks like our exiles are completely and utterly sort of mission accomplished. And, However... And just when we thought they were missing, uh, uh, you know, there, were, uh, there was an open slot in the team, Portal opens up and some short woman with very interesting color choices for a costume pops out. And who is it, Dan? It's the new chick on deck, as uh, Morph would say. Yes. <laughs> so it's um, Mariko Yoshida um, Sunfire and I always get confused because Mariko is the one that Wolverine went out with or yes. nearly got married to yes, yes and it isn't exactly. the real yeah <laughs> so I'm like ah oh, it's an alternate dimension where she has Sunfire's powers right and she's become unhinged from time and and her costume's oddly colored, so all of her, her female bits are, are pinky, but her legs and arms are black, <laughs> so it really stands out. It's weird. It's almost like um, a shell that houses a pearl. It's that pinky color inside. Yeah. It's, it's like, how can we make her even more like blatantly sexualized? Okay, we'll just color all of her female bits pink. And she has ridiculous hair. Two, po- <laughs> two ponytail hair style. She has too much hair going on. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, I guess we got a new member. And then they are blinked away to somewhere else. And where are they, Dan? Because this, this next issue, I think this next story, I, I like even more than uh, the first two issues. But where are they dropping in on now? They're at the Trial of Phoenix. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, so we're going to get some classic Claremont-era X-Men with a few tweaks. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that issue. I am as well. I think um, one of the clever narrative conceits of the whole book is that Blink doesn't know anything about anything. Right. Um, so exposition can be used, but with character. So it's always, if I remember correctly, it's always felt quite well. Um, I think this issue works much better than the second, the first issue. Um, I'm sort of trying to introduce more of the team dynamic. Mm-hmm. 
But I think as overall, I think the first... Obviously, they didn't want to start with the Trials of the Phoenix, but I feel like the first two issues are kind of like... Um, sort of that the weak soup that you have before the main meal. Right, right. Um, and, you know, it's not bad or anything, and it sort of sets you up for what's going to be a good hearty main course but you kind of just forget about it as soon as you've you've eaten it basically yeah uh, i i generally feel like the first two issues which are essentially a bumper size issue one mm-hmm. um so it's almost like three really... issues to put the team together really yeah yeah some yeah it's definitely three issues i don't feel like um by the end of it you you get a defined presence for half the team mm-hmm um, Morph stands out on like a, a million miles because visually he's just right. all over the place and interesting, and he is the clear comedy. But I feel like um, Warpath hasn't really got a distinguishing feature. Nope. Him and Mimic could be the same character at this moment in time, and and um, not, same with Nocturne and Blink. Apart from Blink, doesn't think Xavier is <laughs> a savior. That's the only d- distinguishing factor that changes her as a character. So I think um, it takes time, but I think this next arc allows our um, cast to sort of start feeling like individual characters. I would totally Which... agree. Yeah, and it's it's. I think we got a little piece of what 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 drives Mimic in the first two issues. Uh, so we're starting to get to know him a little bit, and we're supposed to really know Blink because. Uh, and she's sort of like the fan favorite when this this, this all started. Um, so there's those, those two characters get the most time the first two issues. Um, but uh, yeah, I and think I... you're right. We're getting the uh, like the full the full main course is coming up, and I really do like how they've made in, in the time that Mimic came from. He was like one of the greatest X Men, um, mm. even though when he when there was a mimic in X-Men comics, he was like just barely there and sort of thrown away really quickly. So it's um, an interesting idea to bring him in. And, and, and it's, it's, it's great because when he interacts with the X-Men from the Claremont days, they're like, what are you doing here? You should be at home. You're injured. And you're like, oh my God. So even in this timeline, there's a mimic who uh, was like a, a core team member. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing all the great character development that's going to come for him. Because I've, uh, the good thing about um, the first issue is that even though it doesn't feel like there's much um, character work, uh, Winnick and the creative team sort of mine it immensely. Like killing Xavier was a massive moment for Mimic, and sure, um, sure. they they mine mine that for all it's worth um, yeah, yeah. later on. And uh, the only thing that I like the reaction to the death of Magnus is the exact same reaction to I think all the readers would have. Is that I feel like when they were making the book, I don't know if it was planned immediately that Magnus would be the one to die, or they just decided when they were looking at it, they're like, I just don't think he's going to work mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. going forward, so let's just end his life. Because they did have to put in the idea that once one is dead, another appears. Right. So well, conceptually, yeah. like, the book really does, like, the book is sold and completely, like, packaged its concept and everything moving forward. So it's really efficient in that way. I just don't think it hits home with all of the characters just yet. But it's not to say like, oh, turn it off. I don't want any more. Because you do want to see what happens when they see the Trial of Phoenix. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. All right. Well, um... (laughs) I love it says, uh, sorry, on the final page, 
is like a preview for the next issue. It goes next from Phoenix, Arizona to Phoenix. <laughs> what? Does that even mean? Because the previous, the pre- I guess yeah. the prisons were in Phoenix, Arizona. So <laughs> from one Phoenix to another. <laughs> Jesus. So, all right, that was Exiles uh, number two. Uh, any any final thoughts? Um, as an opener, it I I can imagine the reason I loved it in two thousand and one, which was a long time ago. Ladies and gentlemen, it's because I was the, probably the right age to consume it. For sure. Like, if I read this now, I'd be like, "I'm only here for blink." <laughs> if you know what I mean? Like, I'll I'll stay for another couple of issues. I'd have definitely given it more issues, but I wouldn't be like, "Oh wow, this is the most amazingly revolutionary thing I've ever seen." Yeah. Or whatever. I I totally agree. Um, I feel like the first issue would have been like, "Ah, oh, this is okay." The second issue is okay. This is more interesting. And this cliffhanger is like, okay, I need to stick around to see what happens next. And luckily, uh, I think it does pick up a little bit. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. So it it, def- it definitely does. Sure. Just looking at, at issue three that's coming up, um, and we didn't go any of over any of the creatives for for issue number two, but issue number three, one of the writers is Peter Tomasi. I had no idea he was doing comics for so long. Yeah, he's, he's been there for forever. Yeah, who's he's one of my standouts at the moment in with DC, so it's kind of interesting. I think um, what's un- unfortunate, because obviously um, coming up with the creatives, is that in my um, collection it only has the front page, which tells you the creatives. It, mm-hmm. it blanks out all the creative space, and it's just credited Jud- Jud Winnick with everything. Oh, really? Basically, so you're gonna have to tell me who who because um, where where it should tell me. There's just like. Space. Space. <laughs> Space. Whereas, whereas if we look at, like, when I was looking at my epic collection for Excalibur, it's got all of the craves in, like, where it should be. Hmm. So, but yeah, they, they just they just credit a, a select few of people. Right. So it could change, and I would never know. I would well, never let, know. Let me, let me uh, just retroactively give credit where credit's due for issue number two. Uh, with writer Judd Winnick, penciler Mark McCain. Sorry, inker Mark McCain with Canon. Uh, colorist is JC. Um, and that is it. So I don't know why there's other writers credited for issue three and not issue two. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, that's that was issue number two. Alrighty, so all in all, a decent issue, but uh, good things on the horizon. Exactly. All right. So let's jump on over to Excalibur. Um, Excalibur issue number one. Uh, this is the iconic issue number one with the iconic cover. Uh, do you want to give any thoughts on, on, on this cover? Um, for me, this is a cover that much like um, Uncanny X-Men, uh, like number one. Or, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's all X-Men number one or... Like the all new, all different. It just, it just screams. This is something massive that happened once. Right. So there's nothing really much more to tell than it's a great team shot. Totally, because we got Megan. I mean, we got the whole team, uh, basically on a building top in London, uh, looking over the city, 
And it's, it's the iconic issue, you know, cover that if you're new to comics, you may not understand. But if you've been reading comics for even a little bit of time, you, you know, this is like the Excalibur cover. It was also like recently redone for the annual for X-Men Gold. Yeah. Which I don't want this podcast to ever say X-Men Gold again after this, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how all the characters look here. It's so it's so of the time, but also just wonderfully gorgeous. It really is a beautiful cover. I really like the fact that they went with really dark sort of green for the background. Right. Sky. Like it's such an odd choice. And like the the buildings a different color as well they're not all like a block color mm-hmm. like big ben's got like a purple hue right and such forth so is that if that's big ben is that like the uh the parliamentary house they're on top of then <laughs> it must be but because it's a gothic design right but, like the the tower doesn't scream the no. same thing <laughs> no. we'll, we'll, we'll go with it we'll go with it <laughs> i mean any, any anywhere you're in london you can just see big ben just around the corner right <laughs> yes Pretty much, obviously. <laughs> um, hmm. But yes, it's just a perfect cover for me. Agreed. So, so yes. All right. So um, let's see here. Do you have the? You want to read off the creatives for for this issue? Yeah. Um, the creatives are cleverly disguised in a plank of wood. Um, I feel like they used the to do page. that a lot more uh, with old old comics. It's so much. It's so it's so good. So this is the War Wolves of London. Um, Chris Claremont is the writer. Alan Davis is the penciler. Paul Neary is the inker, and we have I Tom Ozekowski. Was it Chowski? Was it Chowski? There we go. Just Chowski. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Apologies. And um, Glynis Oliver is the colorist. Yep. So yes. All right. It even has the crit by. Oh. Logo designed by Ken Lopez. There you go. Wow. Excellent well, logo. Which is nice. Good love, for him. I love a sword. So <laughs> where did we we leave off at the end of uh, The Sword is Drawn? So the team has formed and there's some war wolves uh, running around the sewers of London. All mini-sized, broken-legged. But they are limping around right. the sewers of London. <laughs> They're the only two points you really need to know mm-hmm. is that the team has formed and War Wolves still exists. Yep, so yep. Yes. All right. And where do we pick up? We pick up in a haunted place on a haunted night at Gateway Technologies with the giant monkey alien feeding um, <laughs> this, this like frog robot head that sort of appeared. I don't know. Yes. Do, you, do you want to give any context? <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> well, the the wanted picture, the crazy gang, kind of explains it all. Um, basically, uh, we're going to see this frog robot head uh, more often later in later issues. Uh, the main context, I think, this is one of Claremont's sort of um, side 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 plots where it's like right. building up to something else simply, and all will be explained is the easiest way to interpret these two pages i actually really like the sort of for some reason this technological marvel this technological base is right next to stonehenge and um (laughs) i do love the sort of um shakespearean panel with stonehenge in the background 
where he's quizzically looking at the the head, right, for throwing it into the sunlight. You know, it, it's it's nice to make fun of like all these landmarks always being around, but to be to be fair, they're trying to make sure the readers know this is in London, this isn't in uh, yeah. this isn't in yeah, New York. Is, so this is in England. So there's some there's some rocks called Stonehenge next to this laboratory. <laughs> um. in, in case Captain Britain's uniform wasn't you know British flag enough for you, <laughs> or the dialogue which. God help me, it doesn't sound like anyone in Britain, but sounds more like Australian people at some points. You're going to have to explain what struth means, because S-T-R-E-W-T-H. Right, so, um, right. When I was in character <laughs> the word struth, there was a TV program in England, it was an Australian TV program called Neighbours, which I, I assume people know because of Kylie Minogue came from that TV show. Okay. Massively popular in the 80s in England. Um, and struth is something those guys used to say on that program and people would like try and copy like Austra- an Australian accent saying Struth and it seems like um, what, what we would equate to like God and Bennett or um, like best way of saying it is fuck's sake for fuck's sake um, so if something's done, okay. done you a, a misservice I suppose an injustice slightly like if you drop if you're, if you're doing your pancake right and your pancake gotcha falls you just go fuck's sake or struth I suppose, I suppose. but that's not what that's not what English like I'm like English people don't say that to them did they in the 80s <laughs> but I assume he's just trying to he's just doing it in Australian accent and just trying to trying to like imitate neighbours I imagine sure I, this this policeman who has like these policemen have the most terrible terrible English accents or English dialogue I've, I've read in a while that's Claremont for you. Yes, um, yes. He loves doing that sort of stuff. And to be fair, this is, when is this, 1980, what, 88? Um, yeah. So for Americans, even this little hint of, of you know, another culture, even if it is sort of characterized and, and not quite true, was an effort that people were making to show that there's more than just, you know, the United States in the world. So it's, I can appreciate it and laugh at it at the same time. Yeah, because like some of it makes sense, like uh, free in the flipping morning. Flipping is definitely something we would sure, say in that sure. context. Um, I love how Captain Britain doesn't speak like that at all. Um, yes, the only, the only one that doesn't speak at all like he anyone else. Speaks like any you know barrel-chested superhero would speak. <laughs> yes, any normal person. Um, anyway, so story-wise, we're about, yeah, yes. we're talking about all these policemen. Uh, they're outside Wally's. Which I assume is one of the Flash's more upmarket nightclubs. Sure. Um, in London, of all places. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're talking to the police, but who's on the rooftops? On the on the rooftops are the Warwolves in the haunted capital of this haunted realm. Yes. Like how Britain's realm. <laughs> Because it's another word that's associated. Because we still have knights, right? And, obviously. Well, they're really um, playing into the magic, and we're going to get into that in, in later issues. But it's one of the oh, parts definitely. of the series that I enjoy the most. They just dive right into that. They they care. They give no shits. I love the rooftop um, image with the four war wolves in shadow as they're sort of stalking the rooftops. I thought it was quite nice. Yeah. So sort of scene setting moment, and I like that the moon is orange. I don't know why, but I just do like the moon is orange. 
like cheese. Well, you know, um, in this realm, the, the moon is orange. Yes, that's very true. So uh, our heroes are sort of waiting um, to go in and stop um, a gang of dudes inside a place that are holding people hostage, essentially. We have Kitty and Rachel on the roof. Um, Kitty being all mischievous and making the poor police officer almost have a heart attack by phasing around. Right. And um, Captain Burton's talking to the most annoying detective, or Commander Thomas, sorry, who's also called Day, or Die, yes. <laughs> depends how you want to... Um, and he's dressed like, in, like, all leprechaun colors. Yeah, such a weird, weird thing. He's got that dark green um, suit with that light green vest underneath. It's just, who, who wears this? Obviously, Commander Thomas does. <laughs> this is uh, go-to... Clothes. But as as the young girl uh, young girls go through the roof to go save the hostages, our poor uh, Ray Maholland is attacked by a werewolf. And say what you will about like hiding violence, but the horror elements of these werewolves are quite like intense, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, as you like, they like dissolve your insides so they can wear your meat that image of that wolf holding up his flesh as like you would hold up a dress while wearing his police hat right it's, it's amazing <laughs> a perfect fit bless him so, so as what, that's happening uh shadow cat and phoenix have, have uh phased into a building uh where uh hostages have hostages where, sorry, where robbers have taken a bunch of fancy-dressed people hostage. Um, and as they're, they're trying to face through, Rachel just, like, freaks out on them. And uh, she just, like, faints? Pretty much. She seems to have, like, a... She has an image in her head of, of, of a man, which I assume is the guy, the policeman that's just been murdered. Right. And she just collapses into the fetal position and poor kitties has to deal with everything herself yeah she's gotta leave her there <laughs> in her yeah. in her red snm uniform and uh kitty faces on down through the floor and our um would be um who are wearing tights as masks which is just brilliant right um our assailants one of them kind of thinks she's hot at least the other <laughs> guy's like done you can play later is the most sinister line we'll hear. Oh, yeah. Um, Saints above, man. Oh, wow. These words. I need to start speaking like Claremont's British people. <laughs> I love their um, faces inside the tights. Like they're oh, a little yeah. distorted because that's what would happen if you put really tight tights on your face. Like a lot of the artwork at the moment is really knocking it out. Knock it out of the park for me. I think it's just even when like the backgrounds are just a block color like red, it just really works. Oh yeah. So what does Kitty decide to do to try and save the day? I love this. She dresses up like a ghost and faces through the ceiling and it's like I'm here to get you, boo. <laughs> the best idea. And, and I love they got to shoot her with a shotgun and just like phases right through her. It's, uh, I love that panel, with, as you mentioned, with the, just the red black black background. And she's clearly smiling in, under the mask yes. as well. 
Yeah. And obviously the shot springs Captain Britain yes. and our leprechaun into life. <laughs> uh, I can't believe someone actually is wearing a dark... It's not like dark green. It's it's like long, like grass-colored green suit. It's the... <laughs> Was that a thing in the 80s? Did people just wear, like, green suits? Uh, uh, maybe. Maybe they just wear all colored suits. <laughs> the dude's a commander. He can do what he likes, I imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that tie does not go with his suit. It's like a lollipop stick. But anyway. <laughs> um, Captain Britain impresses the, the local policeman because um, he can fly. And clearly people haven't seen him fly <laughs> recently. <laughs> right. Whatever. He's more like a rumor. Which reminds me... The um, Kitty quotes Batman in one of the panels on the next page. Was saying that the guest criminals are a cowardly, superstitious lot. Right, right, right. Which is a nice nod to bats. Um, and then Rachel goes full on devil Phoenix and like smashes them into a wall after destroying their guns. <laughs> She's actually ter- she seems terrifying. Oh yeah, yeah. Like totally out of, like out for blood, with her face. Then Captain Britain in like my favorite little one of my favorite panels of the book is him smashing through Kitty and like taking the um, ghost cloth off, and Rachel just stood over everyone with her flamey wings. Yeah. Poor Captain Britain. This is the this will be the sec the first of two times that he's late to the party. Yeah. Um. In this issue, I, I loved like in the, got all the background people. Like, the hostages are like, it wasn't a ghost, it was a girl. <laughs> yeah. They're you, both girls. <laughs> and then there's this really sleazy dude that tries to, like, sleaze up Rachel mm-hmm. in her S&M. And then Captain Britain's like, step away. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Captain Britain, who's, like, two feet taller than this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, fuck off, mate. Mm. And then Rachel's a bit upset that she can't find what had uh, touched her mind previously. I mm-hmm. don't mind. I'm still quite enjoying the weird effect that her telepathy has on her face. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite an, it's an interesting visual, as opposed to the usual sort of like weird energy coming off their heads. Right. So we move onward, onward on the night, and another werewolf <clears throat> consumes another unexpected victim. And before we do that, I just want to, just another wonderful Claremont thing here, where uh, in the transition it says, a while away in time and space. <laughs> this book is so amazingly, like, either, like, well or awfully written. I can't tell which, but I'm just enjoying it either way. Well, I really like the, the visual cues, like the wanted person that we saw earlier is oh, there yeah. in the first panel. And I like the fact that this guy's got the... F- like a phoenix brooch yeah on his, um, and he kind of dresses like um, mastermind is it not mas- is it mastermind Jason what's his face yes, yeah, the illusionist yeah well it's a nice little touch and I love how like smiley and like just creepy the policeman is now he's been possessed by a wolf yeah and then they're totally both smiley and I feel sorry for this girl <laughs> But yes, as he's getting killed um, or taken over, melted, worn as a flesh suit, um, Rachel's having a bit more of a sort of upsetment time. Yep. As she has a little moment, you know, 
the toilet and then we cut to this young unsuspecting girl wearing some amazing clothes calling people ducks as she's about to be meat suited essentially is do people just call people ducks i've heard people it's like older women call people duckies or ducks or loveys stuff like that okay i've heard so, loveys but ducks was new for me it's it see ducks to me is more of a northern english thing but who knows all right um who knows? I feel like Claremont just went round England for like, and well, went round Britain for like one day and decided just to take whatever words and put them in a bag, <laughs> and then he just throws the words on the page. I think it works. It, it, it's an, it's kind of a fun game for me. Obviously, coming from the same country, I've been like, people think we speak like this now. <laughs> Thank you, Claremont. Um, but oh well. So from all of this, like sort of death and murder and saving of hostages we get a really interesting kitty moment i feel yeah i love this because she's looking over at like old old images and pictures and letters when when she's with the x-men and i love the first image of like rogue it's like the x-men but uh they're all like their old costumes so rogue is 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 in her like just joined the x-men uniform havoc has the crazy like uh crown I don't. I don't even know how to explain those things going over his head. And is that long shot there as well? Uh, yeah, definitely with that mullet. Yeah, and Storm's got the the mohawk going. It's it's such a great great image. It is a really nice image. And then we also get to see then, her with Doug because they had a really close relationship in, in New Mutants, right? Yeah, which no one seems to care about anymore. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Poor Doug. I know. And I, I like the sort of like she she talks about um, who can live up to the mantle of the X Men, and especially with all the evil that's out there. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this really nice um, panel with Brood and Shiar and Mojo and the Hellfire Club, and I don't know who the demon with the sword is, but I believe it's completely connected to Kitty. Sure. Um, sure. Is it Ogun? I don't know who the oh, red yeah, guy is. Ogun. Yeah, that is definitely Ogun. Yeah, um, Crimson Dude. <laughs> Just. Comes an evil dude. Um, it's his name now. But I, I, I think um, this is a really nice moment between, like, for her, and then there's a really nice moment between him, her, and uh, Captain Burton. Is he sort of just sort of being nice, as opposed to hitting his wife? Right. Um, and you kind of like he's you know inviting her out, and I do like the fact that she puns her own her own name as well in the dialogue. I pride myself on finishing what I start. I was like, good for you, girl. Um, but this is the thing. like, When Claremont is doing good work, it is really quite fun and entertaining. Like yes. like you said, you don't know if, if it's... like I pride myself on finishing what I start. It's, it can be seen as bad dialogue, but also brilliantly staged dialogue. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like this book is just on the edge of is it bad or is it good like or is it just genius um while all that's happening we have like a subplot between um megan and nightcrawler which we mentioned in the last um podcast that we think that the well we thought that the romance between megan and um captain burn doesn't have any chemistry whatsoever not at all not at all and it's just there 
and it it's always there. Whereas I've, and I think I don't know about you, Georgie, but I feel like Megan and Nightcrawler's chemistry is just instant. Oh, for sure, and he is so into her as well. <laughs> yeah, he is totally going to try and bang her. Um, <laughs> this is like I love this this sort of because she's naive, but she's clear. Like she seems naive, but I feel like she's also sort of playing with him as well in some of the dialogue choices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they fly into her bedroom. She specifically goes to the bedroom first. And uh, Nightcrawlers are like, holy crap, that's a massive bed. Yeah, and it's circular. <laughs> it's one of those, like, you might see it at, at what I would call a love hotel, like this really <laughs> circular big pink bed. Yeah, and it's not for you, Nightcrawler, as uh, Megan would, would say. Um <laughs> And so, like, Megan has just decided the lighthouse is going to be Excalibur's base. Brian and her's lighthouse is going to be Excalibur's base of operations. Um, she's like, oh, yeah, Brian thinks it's fine. And Nightcrawler's like, uh, really? <laughs> like, have you asked him? <laughs> and, and so he goes for a little bit of a look around because the place is massive. And then randomly he opens a door into some the most bizarre, like, he just opens a door into some sort of just magical world. Everyone speaks in different languages. Yeah, and, and he's freaked out, and he he bamps away uh, back back towards Megan, um, which was risky because he couldn't see her. So he just uh, he could have like teleported right into a, a stool there. And he's still not fully recovered right. from all his injuries. It's still like, painful. It's like Megan, you got to check this out. There's something weird in the basement, and they open the door, and there's nothing there. And Megan's looking at him like, who is this weirdo? <laughs> yes, that's such a great panel. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, um, in London, Thameside, obviously, in the Fraser's Bank, we um, get... Rachel's a teenager, right? Right. I think you know where I'm going with this. Go with it. <laughs> I know that some like teenagers like to dress older than they actually are, but like Rachel's dressed specifically to work on street corners is all I'm going to say. Like there's, yes. there's no like yeah. go around. Like she's wearing like a corset skirt top, which only just covers her modesty, and then she has these thigh high like heeled boots which look extra padded for some reason. It's as, if, it's as if she is Emma Frost's child, and Emma's like, I'm going to dress you up today, and this is what you're going to wear. Yes, and then Daddy puts the jacket on just to make it seem appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> you need to go out in a jacket. <laughs> it's cold. But um, I really like this, though. The um, She has a psychic conversation with Megan and Nightcrawler, and they're there in, in like, psychic form. And this pink sort of psychic hue, and I think it's quite a nice like idea. Yeah, love it. As opposed to just like, hey, can you hear my thought? And then just have a panel with them in the other room, like the other place. <laughs> I can hear you. I like the idea of like the econ- economy, the economy of 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 the page space. Oh, for sure. Um. And then that weird sleazy dude turns up, where she decides to basically phoenix on. <laughs> I love the fact that his secretary just keeps calling him a pig in well, the head. Well, it's, it's a good good time to bring this up because word bubbles, the word bubbles, thought bubbles are used all the time in this book. 
and it's something that's yes. almost never used here, uh, you know, in, in present day. And they do work, but it also, so, when there's too many of them, it comes off as like too exposition-y or too like soap opera-y, like stating yeah. what's happening on screen instead of letting the artwork tell the story. So um, it's, it's sort of a weird throwback. I think you. I think you just got. To, it's one of Claremont's favorite things. Yeah. In the eighties, so I think you just have to roll with the punches. Because um, sometimes, like, ooh, there's a door open, in his, in in Nightcrawler's mind. Worth a look, no question mark, obviously. Right. Um, that. That's fine, if that makes sense. But like. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, like, uh, like later on when uh, Rachel's like, "This man, his hands, his thoughts," but you could have probably done the 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 art itself. Yes, sells that without her, the need for this, the bubbles at all. And then we've got you know um, Captain Britain looking over at Rachel after she's like freaked out on Nigel, and the whole panel is just filled with thought bubbles. And it's you're like, okay, <laughs> you've gone you've gone a little overboard here, Claremont. Whereas you could have just had a speech bubble of like, I don't know, um, or just had nothing. <laughs> just had nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, as he's in his office, uh, Courtney Ross uh, comes to greet him, who is his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, they used, they used to date in college, it seems like. Um, and she used to be a Auburn because blonde stands out too much. Mm-hmm. So, but this is the first appearance of Courtney, who will be a recurring character. Yeah, and this um, is another like Claremont planting the seeds for for more to come. Yes, pretty much. That's all this is. And then we move from this nice little scene between them because it's like fleshing out um, Brian as well. To be honest, giving him yes. more than just. It's a shame because Megan needs the same work, but. Megan doesn't get like a peripheral character. Megan just sits with Nightcrawler mm-hmm. for, for the first couple of issues, anyway. But anyway, we move over to Kitty, who has come up with some sort of device that will scan for the thing that's making Rachel have these headaches and attacks. Mm-hmm. And she decides to lay a trap by, by wearing. This is where thought bubbles do kind of work, right? Um, by by wearing Rachel's costume putting on um, some hair, fake hair, and uh, wearing a jacket, her jacket. And I do love some of her um, sort of ideas in her head as she's uh, putting everything on, where she's all like, this is too tight. Yes. <laughs> like, this is even tighter than anything ever. And we do get to see, like, in, in when she's in this costume, you do feel like, okay, she is still kind of young. Because she doesn't really yeah. fill it out the same way that Rachel does, and she doesn't feel as confident in the same way. So it's, it is, uh, you know, when Kitty's in her costume, she looks a little bit older. But in, in Rachel's costume, you feel like, oh, yeah, she's like 14, 15 years old still. Pretty much. And then in the background, we get some more Megan and Nightcrawler. Where she, Megan's like, we made it here in record time. And Nightcrawler's like, good, because I was about to freeze to death. <laughs> um <laughs> I love the fact that all they've done to de- the, this issue is just fly together, just to different locations. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's all they've done. And then we have like possibly my favorite moment, which is Nightcrawler talking about English baths yes. while having a bath, 
and then Megan just walking in with some hot chocolate. Nightcrawler being like, oh my god! And then Megan apparently thinks that because it happened on Dynasty, and Joan Collins just walks in, and she can do it too. And then Nightcrawler holding the cup with his tail just goes under the wall. I love this series of panels. So, there's so much emotion in it as well. I just love it. I just love the reaction shots. Alan Davis can draw the hell out of Nightcrawler. And this is another hint to sort of Megan's origins and, and why maybe she doesn't quite understand humans' uh, need for like privacy or like how they get embarrassed or maybe nudity is, is, is something that we're a little worried about. <laughs> but she's like, I don't, what? Nudity? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an elf. I'm a fairy. I don't care. I don't give a shit about your nudity. I know. I made you hot chocolate. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, <laughs> uh, we have a lot of uh, monologuing, almost as if uh, Kitty was Rorschach um, from <laughs> yes. Watch, as she's walking through London streets, um, getting hit on by God knows who <laughs> that dude is. I imagine he's not very well. No. Uh, but as you were saying before, like that little meanwhile, we jump straight back to Megan and uh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler coming out of the the bath, and we get even more sort of drips and drabs of why Megan perhaps isn't socially um, all there. While she's just glued to the TV. Right. And I love that Nightcrawler's robe just barely covers everything it needs to cover. Yes. It is so high above that knee. It is like... You wonder if he's trying to like flash some knee off to see if Megan would uh, glance away. <laughs> but she is glued to that TV in the most uncomfortable stance I think anyone could be yes. in. So um, this is where like her waist again is far too small for any kind of creature, but I suppose she's a fairy. But it just seems a bit too intense. But um, Kurt's just wandering around, also monologuing to himself. Um, I don't think I've ever monologued this much to myself in my life. I know. Like I'm trying to think to the point where, so I'll just do little things. Right? I don't know about you, but I'll be like, right, so I just need to do that and that and that, and then that's it. I just start doing it. I don't like go off on one <laughs> of our things when it's much of time. Yeah, it's another use of, of thought bubbles that it's it's some sometimes you're like, oh wow, I get to hear like all the inner thoughts of this character, but then you're also like, man, this is a lot. <laughs> this is too much. And we find out that Kitty has basically made uh, her made Cerebro unit. Yes. Essentially. And Kurt finds out that she's got he's, She's tracking it down and what what she's up to, basically. And he instantly sort of psychically shouts uh, um, Rachel, who doesn't sit down to watch uh, Hamlet plays. She just stands in the corner looking dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> While she's watching her Shakespeare. And so she flies out of there, all flamed, flame-bearded. And everyone's all on the way to uh, save the day, essentially. Right. And then Kitty just happens to come by the werewolves who start to jump out of the mouths of the, the human skins that they're wearing. And this, these panels always freak me out when they do this. It is, it's such a great visual. Like, it's probably like horror styles. 
it's 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 the book though it's like fantasy oh yeah meets the real world it's essentially the book at the moment i really like the um the rachel panel with the the, where she just knocks one like takes one with her and she just flies in zooming in as it would be right on the next page because yes kitty kitty's powers uh don't seem to work they seem to just slap her aside so her plans failed slightly unfortunately right and then randomly Rachel slams into one in that really nice panel, goes into some sort of building which It's called Ye Old English Humbugs. Yes. And now now I know it's called Ye Old English Humbugs. I'm generally think that the stuff that's dropped on her is literally sweet, like hard boiled sweets. Oh, okay. Like, well before like 'cause humbugs is a type of like minty sweet, hard boiled sweet here. Um so she's like covered in some stuff which almost crystallizes around her. Yes. <laughs> As the warwolves are just basically dragging Kitty off. Because the warwolves are dumb and generally think Kitty is... Is Rachel, Rachel. yeah. <laughs> Which is Even just though they amazing. just got attacked by the phoenix who was someone very different. <laughs> and then uh, Rachel tries to get out of her candy prison and splooshes <laughs> all over the floor. Phrasing. And... <laughs> it's such a panel. <laughs> and um, Kurt jumps into the fray and is instantly knocked aside. <laughs> like, literally in yeah. Um, and then Megan catches him and <laughs> Captain Burton is late because he had to find somewhere to change. <laughs> Which is the best excuse. Um, and then they vow to go and find Kitty before the warwolves turn her into a warwolf. Next, a warwolf possessed. Awesome. Boom. Well, right. how did you feel about issue one slash one point two? Right. <laughs> um, no, I love this. E- even all the bad stuff, I love. Just I don't know. Not not because it's I like bad things, but it feels you know there's so much of it that's of its time. That's you know not how we would do storytelling. In, in the modern age that is just so quaint and, and fun to go back and, and jump into. So uh, I, I love this issue. The artwork is amazing. Um, so much great character work in here, um, even though it's just one issue. And, you know, granted, back in the day, all this, these word bubbles and all the dialogue, it was easier to do more character building in, within one issue. But it, it's just like, these are the characters. I'm going to make sure you know them as they go through the story. And it's it's like masterful storytelling, to be honest. I think even if you cut the thought bubbles out, you'd still get a sense of who everyone else oh, yeah, was. For sure. So I think um and also a large part of that is the artwork. The artwork, like you said, it's just it's it's just beautiful in places. Like everyone's so expressive and just the little panels of um, Nightcrawler goading Megan, and she's all like, ah, ha, ha, and he's like, he, he, yes, in the background. Yes. And they're all like, they've all got like brilliant faces. And I love Rachel's face when that guy's trying to like creep all over her. Like, she looks oh, like yes. she's going to just rip his fucking tongue out. You know what I mean? I, com- I don't want to compare it to Exiles, but the art in Exiles is, 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 is so sort of devoid of emotion. Mm hmm. Um, and very clean 
Whereas this is, this just has so much sort of um, character to it, and exactly. even the little little things of like, like Davis does a lot of um, background. Like yeah. he, there was panels where there's no background for sure, but he does do a lot of backgrounding in places, which really just helps sell certain things and sell certain moments. And, and say what you will about Claremont, he's kind of on fire here because I feel like he's just allowed to do what he wants. Exactly. Yeah. Because this was just like a peripheral X book. It wasn't like the main stuff. So I feel like he was given a lot more creative freedom. Definitely. And he's just... everyone. It just feels like everyone's just having fun making it. And it comes across on the page. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Yeah, this is wonderful. I'm so glad uh, that we're reading this. Exactly. Um, I, d- I, I hope it isn't always one is better than the other. <laughs> but at the moment, it's just it just... You just kind of like to, beat to, classic Galiba. Oh, right. <laughs> the moment. Right. And to be fair, Exiles was a bunch of new characters. It's a different, like, um, oh, yeah, totally. bonus on the story to. to... But still. Um, and, and not that the Exiles number two that we read was terrible in any way. It was just, as you mentioned, oh, yeah. it was the, the lead up to what we actually want to get into. But uh, I'm, yeah, like, I, I love. I'm so. As I mentioned, I'm so glad that we're reading this because this is like one of the holes in my uh, X, X, X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe uh, knowledge that I've read, you know, piecemeal. But I'm glad I'm going to go all the way through this because if it, if it stays this way, at least for a good chunk of the, of, of the time, this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful read. Yeah, it does have its um, down times, but there's a lot of books. To get, there's a lot of issues to get through. So Right. We'll be there till the end. <laughs> to right. the end. To the end. It, oh, I just, I just, it, it will always be my favorite um, of them all. So. all right. Cheers. So that was Excalibur number two. Uh, great issue. Yes, very much so. Alrighty. And then on to the final issue of the day is Exiles number one from 2017. This just came out three days ago so that's april what is that 12th yes april 11th 2017 and uh this is this is a book we've been really excited to to get to uh ever since it was announced yeah well a new exiles book with the original with the original font as well (laughs) title font it's not what you need from life it is, yeah. So, who, so um, I'll, I'll defer to your ability to pronounce words much better than I can. Um, okay. And people's names, um, and you can you can tell us all of the creative joy that's um, put into the book. Great. So, writer Saladin Ahmed, who did the Black Bolt series that everyone uh, was sort of raving about, that I read the first couple issues that were quite quite interesting. So, uh, I'm kind of happy that he's on the book. Uh, it's a good book. Yep. Penciler is Javier Rodriguez. He's also the colorist on page four. Uh, the inker is Alvaro Lopez. Colorist is Jordi Belair, who uh, wonderful to have on here. Uh, letterer is VC's Joe Caramagna. And the cover is by David Marquez and Matthew Wilson, which is, you know, thank, thank the Lord, uh, two of the best uh, artists Marvel has right now doing covers. How do you feel about our cover 
Um, it's interesting because uh, I'll put it this way: we're not going to get to see all these characters, uh, you know, in this first issue, right? Uh, we're still having the, you know, the team is sort of being compiled, but the different characters are drawn in the different ways from which the universes come from. So Blink feels very much like the the Marquez Wilson you would you would normally see. Whereas mm-hmm. Kamala feels like old and gritty and almost like uh, I want to say like eighties anime more style to her. Um, we've got the the baby Wolverine from um, oh boy who does those books the baby books. Um, Scott Young. Yeah, yeah, I've got Scott Young baby Wolverine here. We've got um, this is Iron Lad who. He's the oh boy, he's Kang. He's like young Kang, uh, correct? And he's from like a future timeline, and he, like his artwork is also sort of like like metallic-y and, and odd. And then we're gonna have um, I just call her Tessa Thompson because uh, we don't have like a full name for her now, but it, it's Valkyrie <laughs> from uh, the newest Thor movie, which was you know maybe my favorite Marvel movie uh, in the last five years um, as as the new Valkyrie. Who is also drawn sort of differently and almost like an art style from from that movie, very bright mm-hmm. bright colors. So it's it's wonderful to see that each character here on the front cover is is drawn in a, in a unique way. Also, I think looking at it, we're going to get an extra um, character as well. Yes, yes. Uh, Which I'm kind of excited about. Yes, for sure. Because it's going to be awesome. But we'll we'll talk about that later. Yes. What, what you, any thoughts from you on the front cover? I quite um, what I like the most is actually the sort of the earth echoing outwards. Right. I really like that design. Um, to be honest, the character like it's 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 kind of your typical everyone's flying towards something. Yes. Sort of cover, but I do like the fact that, like you pointed out, that they all are drawn very differently, that they do feel like they're from different places, and I just can't wait to see what. Maybe Wolverine brings. I know, I know. (laughs) That's a really inspired choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's like you can do anything with an with an Exiles book. You might as well make crazy decisions. (laughs) All right. So um, we start off on the moon. It's always the moon. Yeah, and we've got uh, you know. A series that I didn't really enjoy, um, that Jason Aaron did, that led to uh, Thor losing his hammer, but the repercussions of said, you know, sort of crossover, I've really enjoyed. Like that led to uh, the wonderful Mighty Thor book that's been going on for the last couple of years, and, and some other interesting ideas. So it's, uh, it's people have sort of been mining that that crap hole for all the diamonds that have been inside of it. <laughs> I can't even remember what it was called. <laughs> I keep thinking it's called the the fear itself, but that was something nope, else entirely. That's another terrible series. Uh, no, I, I'll leave it. I'll, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I just don't know. But uh, because we've got old school Nick Fury, who's chained to the moon and is forced to sort of be the watcher, and you know we were talking a lot about inner monologue, and we get a, a ton of inner monologue from here in this book as well. Holy crap! Yes. Like, just too much, maybe? <laughs> yes. This was the part of the book I liked the least. 
I right. So if you're going, I imagine if you know you're trying to pick a reason why these exiles would come together after everything that's happened in the other ones um, and all that jazz. And I understand that you need to get the reader up to a certain speed. Like, hi, I'm Nick Fury, but I'm not Nick Fury anymore. I'm this now. I'm chained to the moon. Blah, 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 blah. The multiverse is dying. There's a really pretty picture of this weird, like, frog monster (laughs) eating planets and spitting rocks out, which is quite an interesting visual. And I feel like... um, Oh, yeah, and he's like, I need to bring people from uh, another Nick Fury from somewhere. It it feels too much in the first three pages. Oh, it goes on for longer, doesn't it? Um, No, first three pages. Um, It just felt felt, felt like quite a sort of (laughs) mouthful. um, Yes, it probably does. And... I can see it You can probably be more economical, but I can see what they're doing because obviously that event, AI can't remember it. Um, right. And so there'll be loads of people like me who literally like, Nick Fury's still alive. <laughs> like, um, and then obviously you're going to have to, you know, refresh people's memories. So I get like the whole um, first issue um, sort of setting up the premise. And instantly I think that is the book's biggest failure which is kind of depressing is that it it agonizes of setting the, pre- the premise up and doesn't just sort of set up quickly and just fling our heroes into um right different universes it sort of agonizes kind of like the original ex- exiles kind of agonized over everyone's backstories right and such forth um, this one kind of agonizes over this is what's happening and it constantly comes back to the this is what's happening um, and I kind of understand why they had to do that uh, they had to explain all this in one 20 issue book where yeah. exiles had like 45 issues to go over every uh, 45 uh, pages to go over everything but um, it's for me, even even though it's sort of expository the rest of the way through, it's these Nick Nick Fury pages that are the most like. Definitely, yeah. It's the time broker pages, man. It's just it's yeah. it's, it's it's the garbage that we have to have when exiles um, yes. when an exiles books. Because the thing is, like, if you compare it to the first one, it's the same. Yes. It's just like the same exposition is is horribly handled in both books. Yes. So you know, it's sort of it's the uh, it's it's those it's the lima beans you have to eat with the rest of your meal in order to to get onto the good stuff. Now, also, I, I generally think that the uh, the first uh, splash page and the first page oh, yes. kind of doesn't instantly show how the book's going to visually look to you because it's a very different tone, yes, and style to what we're about to just jump into in the next couple of pages. And I think it's a conscious decision because everything feels very different in style and tone. Yes. Even though it's the same artist, which is a great idea because parallel. Yeah, I, I love that, yeah. So, like, um, so the, it's the like, Moon stuff is really invoking much more of like a Nick Fury feel to it, to be honest. Yeah, it, it reminds me of um, like the way it's staged. It kind of reminds me of like those old Marvel sort of. Is it um, like Infinity War? Yes, yes. Infinity Gauntlet. Um, not Infinity War. <gasps> How dare I say it that way? Um, Infinity Gauntlet with those Roger Stern and such forth, those giant panels. Yeah. Uh, then we then we jump from Nick acquiring the Talus um, to this interesting sort of matchmake 
page of um, our main hero, Blink. I love this page. It's, it's such a great idea. Yeah. Maybe you want to explain exactly what we're seeing here artwork-wise? Right, so basically it's almost as if someone has thrown a deck of cards onto uh, a table and they've all sort of fallen in a way where it just makes Blink. And each card is a different sort of moment in her life or different people she's met. You've got Sabretooth, you've got like sort of short-haired Blink, long-haired Blink, you've got Magneto, you've got Rogue, you've got Morph. And you it makes... It makes the body of Blink, but within like a collage. Yeah, it's it's wonderful, and and each like image here is like a different art style as well. So it's yeah. uh, it's it's a great page, and she's the star of our book. She's who we've always wanted to uh, to have back, and it's, it's you know so happy to have her back. Exactly, I love the fact that Mimic is is there as one fist with yes. the um, yes. metal fist in the. And even in the background, you can see Warpath and Nocturne uh, a little bit. Yeah. I think it's quite it's lovely, like, sort of. It is a lovely image. Mm-hmm. So, from the moon, where do we end up? We're in the Bahamas. And Claire is, although she's not from our universe, she's having lunch with her would-be aunt. Um, and they're, they're just digging into some lobster here. And, I, lovely. and I'm hungry. <laughs> it's it's about yeah, lunchtime in uh, in LA right now. I'm starting to get hungry looking at this. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, munching on a lobster, uh, she gets a distress call or a phone call from the talus into her brain. From the moon. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yes, from the moon. I quite like that panel. And um, she is like, right, got business on the moon. And her would-be aunt's are like, cool, stay safe. I know. And she blinks away to the moon. I love her aunt doesn't care at all. It's not like, oh, you're pink-skinned or you're mutant. She's like, oh, have fun on your adventure. You can tell me about it when you get back. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Bless her soul. <laughs> so this is a very different... Right, so uh, this is a very different blink um, than... Well, you're the biggest Blink fan out of the both of us. Would you say this feels like Blink, or she feels a little different no, here? she definitely does feel different. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, uh, maybe before we started this, that previously Blink was written as just a, a white woman with pink skin. Um, yep. Where they've, they've actually really gone into her heritage here a little bit more, and she feels like an individual rather than just a, just a blank canvas that she was... Uh, maybe in the previous Exiles, in terms of style of talking. Um, so yeah, they've is... really gone to, Go gone ahead. to town with. They've really gone to town with like redesigning her from the ground up as a yes. as, as a visual character as well as a like how she speaks. And I quite like because like she was quite spunky and she is a leader of people. And I do like the fact that she's quite <laughs> when Nick Nick Fury's talking to her, she's kind of like and yes, yes. <laughs> Because she's seen she's seen it all before, and I I, I must admit I love her redesign. Yeah, like I her do. entire costume is just gorgeous. Really, they've, really give, they've gone away from the as we previously mentioned, like like late nineties or early two thousands hairstyle to something that's, for lack of a better word, more more ethnic, um, more true to like her actual heritage, which is a nice twist to it. Yeah, and I I think uh, moving away from her weird dress. Come right swimwear, um, 
and giving her the sort of the, the thigh high boots and the like the, she identifies immediately as blink not just because of the pink skin right but because of the other elements that make her blink like the weird boots and all that jazz but yeah. the, the, it's an updated design which really works i agree and obviously it's she's kind of reminiscent of the old one because from the back we'll see later on when you see her from the back it does look very much like uh like her old uniform but from the front yeah. it's much more modern definitely and um blue nick fury um <laughs> it's all like you're gonna go save the world uh save all the worlds may i say save the everyverse and, uh, yes the everyverse indeed and uh blink just blinks off well the talus just blinks her off so it's, it's pointed out it. several times that she's no longer in control of the talus it's sort of teleporting her wherever she wants to go yeah um and i'm sorry i think i cut you off but you're saying you love no no no. i was just saying i love this panel like having talking to nick fury i just love the whole like i think visually it it could be a bit messy story wise because mm-hmm. you have to follow the balloons as opposed to the right actual visual so i think the book does have a moments where visually it isn't as clear but mm-hmm. I just generally love this panel so much of her meeting Blue Nick Fury and again getting parted off by yeah. the Talus. I, I'm starting I to do get love the a fact little bit of a... Oh, go ahead. I just love the fact that she treats the Talus like a dog at one point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she's teleported to like a dystopian future. Um, and then she's teleported again. Um, and she's someone says, "Hey, get up, mutant!" And what? What? Who is like coming at her? <laughs> Basically, if Cable was designed by Frank Miller, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Like Frank Miller's Cable and his little minions are driving towards her in a beaten up thing car. Yeah, exactly. I love the fact that it's. They look totally different to her, like totally different. Oh yeah, totally different. Like, style. The way they, yeah, yeah, where they're coloured, everything. She's so clear and crisp, and so like contemporary comics, and they're like, we come from Frank Miller's world. Um, I'm waiting for the you know old man Batman to jump out and start like fighting this person in the mud. And um, well, <laughs> they're very shouty. And yes. she tries to blink and take them out, but they, you know, they manage to take her, manage to knock her out, and she wakes up to the barrel of a, a gun, being held um, by old woman uh, Miss Marvel. Yes, who we must call Khan from now on. Khan, yeah. But I love not only in this book, but we're seeing it in uh, all the Wolverine as well that they're they're using you know, alternate versions of uh, Kamala Khan. Uh, to interesting, yes. interesting ways. Yes. If you haven't read uh, all new uh, Wolverine's uh, interpretation of Kamala, all that issue, you should probably go because it was actually really good. So, but yes, I, I love I love grizzled um, Khan. <laughs> yes, grizzled Khan. That's what we should call it, grizzled Khan. Grizzled Khan. <laughs> Sounds like some food that you should eat as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's uh, Blink's trying to tell her everything that's going on and um khan does this bizarre lie detector using her flat hand a giant flat hand to sort of read her pulse 
Which is an interesting use of her power. Yeah, no, I love it. Sure. And I, I love how Blink's like, oh, I know you, you're Miss Marvel, I love you. And it's like, <laughs> everyone loves Miss Marvel in, in the Marvel Universe. Yes. No one doesn't dislike Miss Marvel. I know. And as everything's going on, and she believes her slightly, or she believes that she believes that what she's saying is true, um, everything goes white and bad, and the panels start dissolving as the Talos takes her and Khan out of the way because the Time Eater... Is it the Time Eater? That's what they're calling it? Uh, was that what it was? Whatever. The thing devouring things is <laughs> <laughs> devouring uh, Khan's world as we speak and right. they end up in the future our world in the future so it's something we should bring up because you mentioned um the, the the splash where blink met nick fury on the moon and then we've got this this full page where the panels are sort of being thrown around um and everything's disappearing and the the layouts of this book especially the second time through are, are much more interesting than a regular normal comic book Yes, for sure. This this reminds me a little bit of some of the panel usage. Reminds me a little bit of like um, Young Avengers. But yes, yes, the more experimental Young Avengers pages. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more going on here than just simple. This is this is four panels, six panels. This is your story. Right. <laughs> right. It's splash page. Like it's ironic because like it's it's ironic to say that because obviously you've got this page of the world being dissolved into white and then we coming forward into the new one, and then we have a splash page which is kind of regular. But it's also not because it's got it's it's like a giant splash page in the background with little panels on top. But sometimes the little panels on top connect to the splash page, so yes, it's, yes, it is. I still find it really like an interesting look to to see everything. It's not a straightforward left, right, left, right, left, right panel read. You sort of, it takes a minute to track how the story's going, but it's really interesting. Yeah, and the art style here is really totally sort of like the way Iron Lad is coloured. Yeah, it's just such so odd compared to <laughs> compared to the rest of the book. But um, yes, and now it makes me wonder: Are we travelling to just alternate worlds? Are we also travelling to alternate timelines? I think it's definitely alternate timelines, right? That's how it's feeling at the moment. Um, so this is this is us meeting Iron Lad for the very first time, who decides to do take off his helmet and look totally bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> but he's 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 attacking like two little boys. Uh, yeah, he's attacking kids. This yeah. is such a weird, like it's such an interesting idea because obviously he is Kang the Con- our younger version of Kang the Conqueror. Um, major Avengers villain, um, all out hateful, dark-hearted, conquering everyone sort of dude. And then here we have him dressed as sort of Iron Man, which if people read him as Iron Lad in the Young Avengers, original Young Avengers, right. you'd know him as being like this sort of heroic, brooding, my future isn't written sort of dude. And then basically here we have him called out for getting a power suit and attacking bullies yes <laughs> um, essentially and it's all and it, it it's clear that he's not the same iron lad as in the young avengers no no like his exposition is convoluted but i feel like it's convoluted because he's convoluted right not because it's written into like a horrible way i feel like it's because <laughs> his um because he is such a weird character anyway 
because like the way the other characters react to him and what he's saying are kind of like what you kind of would do but what what the hell are you on about essentially yes i thought if i was and then we go to another splash page with um another like an older version of can just going mental and firing at them <laughs> oh yeah King. yes I love how he's drawn here too. It's, it's such a great, great look for him. He's just so me- he's so mental as well. And this is so another, kind of... the layout here again, where he's like busting through the middle of the page and shooting down at them, and like all the panels are on the sides. It's I, I'm I'm enjoying this book definitely much more the second time through. Yeah, I think visually is a hell of a lot of. Um... A whole of a lot of fun. Yes. And then, like, the, and that they figure out, blink fingers out that obviously the Talos is recruiting people. Right. Like we're meeting. Um, it's picking up the team because you know I can't do it myself, and the Talos knows that sort of thing. And as Kang blows everyone else up, uh, that reality is also getting eaten by the Time Eater, which is, well, it's the head of Galactus. <laughs> So before we get to that, I want to read out the dialogue that Kang says as, as you know, the Time Eater is eating, eating the world. <laughs> He's like, no, no, Kang cannot perish this. Kang is not mere fodder for, like, I love that he's monologuing as he's been, like, ripped from existence. <laughs> I like it. I love the fact that um, what they've done here in the final pan- panel is mm-hmm. that we have our hero, plucky heroes looking at the Time Eater. Who is within a comic book panel? Right. Like it's, there. It's almost like they're breaking the fourth wall. Um, as we have like the zombified head of Gal- which makes me feel like is this Marvel Zombies Galactus? Huh. Um, That'd be interesting. And that's, you know, this is where this has come from. But yeah, so the time it was literally the head of Galactus eating stuff. You know, now that you mentioned that, I, I feel like this would be a great little crossover is if they got to team up with the Ultimates, uh, the new version uh-huh. of yes. the Ultimates. That would be a really interesting couple of issues. But yeah, this is a great final page. Uh, you're like, okay, this is not what I was expecting at all, but this is <laughs> this is going to lead somewhere fun. I love the way it's colored, with the reds being the, the prominent colors of our heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's quite a nice, like... Little look to it, and to be fair, it's a very breezy um, twenty pages. It just straight oh, yeah. through it, right through it, straight through his stuff. And then we have um, I don't know if you've got it on yours, but I've got letter pages with all the character designs, yes. and then we have a preview of what's next, which <laughs> looks amazing. Which is Falcru riding on her Pegasus, holding uh, baby Wolverine with Serta in the background. Yeah, and baby Wolverine is like throwing a tantrum here. <laughs> yeah. It's not the best thing ever. Um, so, how do you feel overall um, with the first issue? Now that you've read it a couple of times, early? right? So let's let's jump back uh, for a second, talk about just the format of the podcast because we're not really reading the old issues. Uh, it just doesn't feel right to to do like a, a grading scale, like one to five or you know A to F or something. Their older issues were were going back, you know, twenty, thirty, forty years to read these books. So um, I, I don't feel like we can judge them the same way. But this book, I, if, if you're cool with it, I'd like to do something more 
substantial in terms of, of ratings to sort of track how okay, the book is doing. Does that work for you? Yeah, that's you can read it. Yeah. So I mean, I the standout for this book is the is the artwork. Uh, it's the it's the page layouts as we've mentioned I don't know a number of times. Um, it's the coloring. It's uh, it's such a fun as you mentioned breezy like quick read in in the best way uh, possible that uh, I really enjoyed this book especially the second time through. Yeah, I think um, the like I've read it I've read it three times now and I think the first time I read it I was kind of like huh I really enjoyed the way it looked but I was kind of like ah oh, that's a lot of words <laughs> in places <laughs> and then uh, putting it to be honest reading Excalibur puts it into context yes um, and like that isn't a lot of words no, when it comes no. to 80s comic books that that is actually quite a little amount of words yes. <laughs> I think um, after reading it multiple times I appreciate it a hell of a lot more I think it's got Blink's quite defined, well defined, and her new status quo is easily defined within like a couple of pages. I think where it struggles, which is like you said as well, the Nick Fury pages, yeah. it manages to sort of struggle with its concept slightly, but then it pays off at the end with like the the reveal of the Galactus head and like the the slight reveal that like we all knew the ta- like she's teleporting to these places to pick up the team. Um, but giving Blink that information sort of pushes the narrative for her forward and, like, now we know what the Talus is up to. And we're at the right spot by the end of the book, um, for sure. Yes. I think it's a, it's a solid, it's a solid issue, issue one, but it does sort of get weighed down by trying to explain everything away. Because um, I found that the explanations for Iron Lad were kind of, like, on the nose, and a bit sort of like taking the mick out of uh, someone who has a really convoluted <laughs> yes. backstory. Whereas they didn't even really have to explain um, Grizzled Khan no. at all. No. Like you just instantly got that she's from Frank Miller's Marvel Universe. Yes. <laughs> and you instantly got that, which I think um, was quite clever. That that's and if they keep change, like they they explain the characters in different and unique ways, I think the book will, the getting the team together. Yes, which is such a such a done concept now, um, will feel a bit more fresh. Um, but overall, I'm I was quite happy with it. Yeah, I think it's really refreshing to see them uniquely engage with each character on terms of their own universe and not just. The story, but the artwork, uh, it really sticks out in, in one of the, you know, in a great way. And um, I'm just looking back at the panel where Kang is, is shooting his laser because I feel like that's such a great book. Uh, sorry, great page. And if you look in the, uh, like the laser beam that's coming out from his gun, you can actually see the faces of the team in the blast. It's, it's like someone did, a, a, who, who's the art team on this again? Um, Rodriguez and um, Lopez and Belair? Jolly Belair. Yeah, like standout. Uh, wonderful job, people. It is a great looking book, that's for sure. Yeah. So, uh, what do you want to do? You want to do like a one, one, like one to five scale? Yeah, one to five seems like a nice enough scale. Cool. Um, so, I think I'm going to give this a four. Uh, but maybe a a, a lower four, 
I feel like it's not like five. Uh, obviously, it's not like the perfect issue. Um, but w maybe after I read it the first time, I would have given it like an average like three out of five. I feel like uh, you know going through this the second time has really raised uh, my opinion of this. So I'm going to give this a, a four. Not to be a cop-out for our listeners, but I might have to agree with you because I would have probably started off with a three and now I've read it a few times. I'm kind of like, I appreciate it. I'll have a lot more especially in context with other comics as well, um, especially the other two we've just read. Right. So I'd probably give it as like um, a sort of lowish four, not not too low, but right. Like it's just got into four. Like um, it's just it's just there. It's warming its feet. Yeah, exactly, and it's a good first issue to start things off. We get the team starting to to come together. A nice cliffhanger, and uh, you know we're both really looking forward to seeing the uh, the next two team members join. Damn straight. I'm also, um, for you listeners, unless you read solicitations, I'm very much looking forward to the third other character yes. to join the team for a little while because that is going to be, that should be great. Yeah. So, um, do you want to talk about the writing at all? Uh, because we, we just like uh, came all over the, the artist here. Um, <laughs> and I just want to give well, Saladin uh, Ahmed his, his due here as well. Yeah, I think, like, obviously, outside of um, him having to jump the hurdles of explaining everything away, I think he he quickly establishes Blink as a, a voice of her own, and he managed to establish Khan pretty much immediately. Yes. Um, which is quite impressive. Like, I, I feel like I know where she stands. Yes, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And I quite like what he's done with Iron Lad, making him basically a petulant child mm -hmm. um, who was bullied. So his first thing he does when he gets like powers, essentially, is to <laughs> enact revenge, even though he doesn't really want to be Kang. <laughs> but right. then he's not really sure if he is Kang in the future. Right. I like it. Cause it's just a weird... Com like They just made him a confused mess, kind of <laughs> like what he is anyway. Um, and I think it's, it's fun. It's got like a sense of fun to it, and there's quite fun dialogue here and there, especially when Blink and Khan meet for the first time. Um, I can see the character dynamics being really interesting between just those three alone, that alone, oh, yeah. the rest of the team. So I think writing-wise, it's he he's done the best with the first issue that you can when you've got a concept you have to explain. Right. He's done much better with the character work than say the previous Exiles did, for sure. Yeah, it was it. Yeah, nice job. I, 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 you know, totally agree with you here. He had a big <laughs> hurdle he had to get over, and he did the best he could. But afterward, it uh, really it flew by in the in the best way possible, and it just echo your sentiments all around. It was a uh, nice job by the creative team. A good start, and looking forward to to the next issue. Amen. Alrighty. Well, uh, boys and girls, that was uh, all the books for today. Um, we've, we've sort of been doing these pretty in-depth, whereas when we record on, on the SNCCast, maybe we would do two or three times as many issues in this amount of time. Uh, I'm glad that we can really dive in panel by panel, character by character, and really discuss, discuss these books. So it's been a lot of fun, Dan. Thank you. 
It is. It's been a. It's a pleasure. I love reading Excalibur, and any excuse to read it is. I'll. I'll take it. So. Um, <laughs> I'm just happy to be able to read the rest of them and experience the new Exiles, as well, alongside them all. Actually, they're pra- practically all started together. Right. Um, so yeah. It'd be nice to see them all evolve in the same way. Exactly. Well, not the same way, but in the own <laughs> special ways. And and we should probably say that you listeners, if you want to like get in touch with us and tell us what you felt of the new Exiles or what you feel of it, of the old one, um, and Excalibur, um, just to get in touch with us, at Excaliburos, on Twitter, and we'll uh, relay the people your voice, your voices and opinions. Yeah. Only only if we agree with you, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. All right. Well. Awesome. I guess we'll probably next. Uh, I know that the next issue of this is coming out shortly, and the third issue of, of Exiles is coming out shortly after that as well. So I'm not sure if we're going to just do old issues in the next recording or if we're going to have another issue of the new Exiles. But uh, look forward to another two or three books uh, next time, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Amen to that. All righty. Good night, everybody. Night.